Today on Abounding Grace. When I'm in a place of being stretched, when I'm in a place of intense pressure, when I'm in a place where I don't have control, where things aren't going the way I want them to go, where I'm not sure what tomorrow will bring, that's when, that's when God shows up in a powerful and a mighty way. When I'm on the run, when I'm fearful, when I'm hassled, when I'm unsure of myself, when I'm dealing with the frailty of my own humanity, the Lord is my shepherd. No one else is. No one comes through for me or you like God does. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's great to be with you, and welcome to Abounding Grace. We'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor in a second, who today resumes our series in Romans. All this week, we're talking about the trials we face in life, and maybe you're in the midst of one as we speak. When they strike, questions tend to surface like, why is this happening, or what's going on? Pastor Ed would like to suggest asking a different question, and that is, who is our Good Shepherd? Knowing who he is will help you travel through that next trial with the right perspective. Romans chapter 5 in verse 3, Paul says, And not only that, speaking of the blessings of being a believer, he says it's not just peace with God, it's not just access with God, it's not just the grace of God, it's not just hope in God, but not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We took our time last week to focus in on these verses because it's not always easy to say that we glory in tribulations because we don't always glory in them. Nor is it always easy to see tribulation as a benefit of being saved. And we spent considerable amount of time looking at what the benefit is and how God uses trials and temptations and testings in our lives to grow us, to mature us, to change us, to stir us up and not let us stay in the same place all the time. Now, when I'm in the midst of a test or a trial, when I'm facing situations in my life, I know, and I've heard from many of you in the midst of trials in your life, one of the most common questions that we ask is the why question. Why me, Lord? Why now, Lord? Why this, Lord? And that is a common question. It's almost as if it's our first response. When we get into pain and we get into problems and and trials and testings come our way, we cry out, why, Lord? Why? But I've noticed, haven't you, that God doesn't always answer that question. No, rather, he rarely answers the why question this side of eternity but instead simply calls us to trust him and to cling to him, to hold on tightly, to look to him for encouragement and trust. And even though we don't like them, we know that our heavenly father uses trials and testings to produce good things. He produces perseverance. Remember, it's more than just patience. It's the ability and the tenacity to not give up and quit when tough times come. 
And from perseverance then comes character, not the kind of stuff that we might write on a resume, but the kind of stuff that's in us and burn in our very heart. We can't learn from books. We can't learn from tapes or CDs. Only God can teach us this kind of character. And from perseverance to character then comes hope. And we know that it's not all is lost, that Jesus is faithful, even when we are faithless and trials come to us all. Some last longer than others. Some are easier than others. Some are heavier than others. And it seems like at times of trustings and trials, all we can do is just sigh and ask questions. Sometimes we ask the why questions, but I'd like to propose to you a few more questions Questions that are more appropriate to ask in times of trouble. You can write them down. You can put them in the back of your mind. But there are some questions that God does answer when you ask in the midst of trial. For instance, it's not the why questions that God answers, but I'll tell you what he does answer. He does answer what questions. How about this what questions? God, what do you want me to learn through this? What are you trying to teach me? What lesson are you laying down on the slate of our Sunday school class through this trial? What do you want me to learn? How about this question? Number two, what changes are you trying to bring about in my life, Lord? You've allowed this situation. Now I'm in the midst of it. What changes? What do you want, to, want me to change about myself? Is it a mind change? Is it a heart change? Is it an attitude change? What do you want me to change? Number three, what people do you want me to reach out to through this trial? You know what trials do? They make us very self-centered. We think only of ourselves. And yet there are many times that God is allowing something or something's come into our life that he wants to use so that we're now reaching out to others, not just looking at ourselves. And when we ask the question, what people would you want me to reach out to? He'll answer those questions. Let me add another question to you. It's a different question. It's not a why question and it's not a what question, but it is a who question. During times of trials and testings, we learn who our good shepherd is. So you can ask, who are you, Lord? What part of you are you going to reveal to me? And I'm learning and I've learned that why isn't really the right question to ask. Instead of asking why, we can ask the Father what. And as time passes, the questions in our heart does change. What changes are you wanting to do in my life, Lord? What do you want to reveal? What direction do you want me to take? Who is my God and who is my shepherd? That's what David answers in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a great psalm, is it not? Unfortunately, I think great passages of Scripture get watered down in the world. And they start using them. The two most popular scriptures that I've noticed that have gotten watered down and lose their significance is John 3.16 and Psalm 23. Some of the greatest, most powerful truths in all the scriptures. Well, what's the world done with them? They've made them very quick little pithy sayings that everybody can cling on to. But they really have power to those, well, let's say John 3.16, for example. The power of John 3.16 goes to the one that is lost. So God so loved you. He so loved you apart. You're far from God. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. And you have to ask the question, does anybody love me? Well, John writes, I'll tell you what, Jesus said that he loves you. God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But the world tries to water it down, make it everywhere. Put it everywhere, say it everywhere. Psalm 23 is the same thing. They, they put that thing everywhere. They have it on mirrors, little magnets for your refrigerator. You could put them on, it's everywhere. 
And it seems that the world wants to make it less than it really is. But for believers, it's sweet. Psalm 23 is precious. To think of our good shepherd, David. You know, David wrote Psalm 23, that little shepherd boy. That little shepherd boy had a rough life. Part of his rough life was from others, and part of his rough life was from himself. He caused a lot of pain for himself through his own sin, and other sins caused a lot of pain for him. You remember the story, that little shepherd boy, God anoints him through Samuel the prophet to be the next king, but the current king doesn't like it. King Saul is upset with him, and David begins his life on the run, and he's always on the run. It seems like that's a part of his life because later on in life, after the difficulties that he sees, he's also on the run again as his own son, Absalom, turns against him. If you want to read the story of David in its entirety, just go through First and Second Samuel. It's a great study in the character of a man, the ups and downs of a man that God uses. And so in Psalm 23, we only have six verses. We're only going to look at three of them today. We'll look at the next three next time. 117 words. But in these six verses and 117 words come the most precious, sweet descriptions of God in all the scriptures. You know, scholars debate on when David wrote this. There's actually three theories of when David wrote this psalm. One theory is that David wrote this psalm while he was on the run, in a rock refuge, sitting there meditating on his safe shepherd that was protecting him. Another theory says that David sat down to write Psalm 23 after the rebellion later on in life of his son Absalom. After he was on the run again, while he was wandering through the dusty desert, wandering and running for his life. There's a third suggestion, and that is that David wrote this as he was walking through the valley of Elah, where years earlier he had thrown the stone that fell Goliath, and he was beginning to think of what a good and great God he has in being faithful for him through the valley. You know, when I look at it, I kind of side with one of the first two, not necessarily the third. When you read through Psalm 23, you don't really see it as a victory psalm as much as as a refuge psalm. A psalm that you could put your pillow down at night knowing no matter what chaos is going around in your life, no matter what is outside of your control, the Lord is my shepherd. I can trust my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Not any man, not any woman, not any leader, not any pastor, but the Lord is my shepherd. You know, not only do I think that theologically, but I also think it personally. I think it was one of the two personally because in my life, God has meant so much to me at my moment of need. That's when God really comes alive. When I'm in a place of being stretched, when I'm in a place of intense pressure, when I'm in a place where I don't have control, where things aren't going the way I want them to go, where I'm not sure what tomorrow will bring, that's when, that's when God shows up in a powerful and a mighty way. When I'm on the run, when I'm fearful, when I'm hassled, when I'm unsure of myself, when I'm dealing with the frailty of my own humanity, the Lord is my shepherd. No one else is. No one comes through for me or you like God does. There isn't anyone. And the times when the Father is so powerful, so precious, are those times when I've needed him the most. You know why? Because we're not alone in the trials of life. Paul would describe the Father as Abba. You know, that's translated in English as a daddy. The preciousness of coming and protecting and caring for us. So let's look at the shepherd here in the midst of our trials. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
We can't even stop past the second word, guys, the Lord. That's the word in the Hebrew, Yahweh, the name of God, the very essence of who God is. You know, my name, my name is Ed or Edward. At times I've been called Eddie or, or other things. I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, and I'm a friend. And yet, those all describe what I do in life. Those all describe places I am in life. I can be a friend, a pastor, a dad, a husband. They all describe what I do, but my name describes who I am. I'm the only Ed Taylor in this carcass. That's it. There's only one of me. There's a lot of Ed Taylors in this world, but there's only one of me, just as there's only one of you. And no matter what you do or don't do in this world, your name describes who you are. That's why it's such an invasion of privacy when somebody rips off your identity, isn't it? I mean, it's more than just getting more credit cards and driver's licenses. They have taken something precious to you. That's why it hurts so much when your name is drugged through the mud and you really didn't do anything because your name is precious. The Proverbs tell us that our name is to be guarded because our name is how people view us. Do you know that we carry the name Christians? We carry the name Christian. We carry the name of our Savior in our lives, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is looking to reflect himself through our lives. The Lord, his name, his essence, who he really is. Even in the Hebrew culture of the time, the name was precious and valuable. They would often wait to name their children for weeks or even a few months to see what kind of characteristics would come out in their lives. And that's what their name would be. We see that very clearly in the Old Testament through many of the characters like Jacob and Esau as their names reflected their characteristics. And when it came down to it, David, in looking at his shepherd, he says, my shepherd is Jehovah. That's who my shepherd is. That's his heart. He says, when I think of God, David, when David says, I think of God, I think of him as a shepherd. Now, David would understand that, wouldn't he? Because he himself was a shepherd boy. That was his trade. That's what he did. Before he be rose to the throne of the kingdom, he was a faithful shepherd. <laughs> you know what that means for you and me? If God is a shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep. There's a problem with that. There's really one of two ways to put this. I'm going to put it the high road way. You ready? Sheep aren't the smartest animals on the farm, okay? <laughs> they just aren't the smartest. Some would even presume to call them dumb. Sheep. That's how we're described. That's our relationship to the shepherd. We're sheep. We all should laugh, you know, because sheep aren't the smartest animals on the farm. Sheep tend to follow each other around with no direction. Well, I've shared before a story I found in Turkey. There are many of them out there where the, sheeps would follow, the sheep would follow each other over a cliff. Oh, that's great. Bye. You know, let's go over the cliff. 400 sheep before me have gone and they don't wise up. They're just like, well, that's where we're all going. Let's go. Sheep aren't smart. Sheep tend to follow each other around, even over cliffs. And I, I think of, well, sheep also have a bad memory. I had a sister come up after first service today. She says, you know, Ed, sheep, I have sheep on. We are sheep farmers ourselves. And there was a sheep on our farm who went into the barn and had a little baby sheep. Ah, a little baby sheep went out of the barn to go eat, had another baby sheep. She forgot from the time she left the barn to go eat and have that other baby. She forgot that she had one in the barn. And so they brought her back and said, hey, here's your baby. And the sheep, I don't know what, I don't 
know how sheep say no. I only th- they only can say one thing. Ah, so I don't know how she said no, but she resisted that sheep, and they had to bottle feed that little baby till it could get up on it. I mean, because we don't remember things. You ever sit in a Bible study and you hear that and it's like hearing it for the first time, but it's like your memory verse. It's your life verse. And you're like, I forgot it was my life verse, man. That was brand new to me because we're like sheep. I think of all the dumb decisions I've made in life. I think of all the dumb things I've said. I think of all the the dumb places I've been. And I understand, you know what? I am. I am a sheep. In the economy of God, I'm a sheep. I bet you've never heard of a sheep trainer, have you? (laughs) Nobody's got a profession as a sheep trainer. You can sure try. Sheep are basically untrainable and very limited in their abilities. Sheep are defenseless and weak. You're not afraid of a sheep, are you? They don't have big claws that come out and they don't go after you with big teeth. You know, they're, they're very defenseless. They have no claws. They have no fangs. They can't even bite their enemies to death. They're on their own. You know, it's been said that sheep are easily spooked and have been overcome by groups of squirrels. Can you imagine? Can you imagine about the sheep that comes back all beat up and they go, what happened to you? The squirrels got me, man. It's true. Sheep. Sheep are spooked. We hear of the Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos, but not the St. Louis Lambs. <laughs> Although at times they might feel that way. No, it's not lions and tigers and sheep. Oh my, it's not that way at all. Sheep. Sheep get dirty. And do you know they don't care? They don't have any mechanism or care in the world to clean themselves up. They get dirty. And they'll stay dirty. And if they get dirty and stay dirty, they can carry enough dirt on them that if they were to fall over, they would be so heavy in their wool, they wouldn't be able to get back up, get back up onto their feet because they're so dirty. Not like cats. Cats, you know, if they're not walking around with some attitude, they're cleaning themselves, right? <laughs> Sheep don't even have attitude. They don't care. <laughs> it's not really a great compliment in our flesh to be considered sheep. But David sets the record straight. The Lord is our shepherd, and we are so much like sheep. Therefore, we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd to take care of us. You know, in summary, I think David's telling us right at the outset, the Lord is my shepherd. I believe God wants us to understand this. He's making a point to us. We are the strongest and we are the smartest and we are the safest and we are the most secure when we let him be our shepherd. Not on our own, not in our own wisdom. You know, David could have picked all sorts of different analogies to describe this relationship. David could have easily said, the Lord is my commander in chief and I am his warrior. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, the Lord is my king, and I've been his ambassador. doesn't say that either. He doesn't even say something like, the Lord is my attorney, and I'm his client, you know? That's the kind of relation. He doesn't say that. David chose to lay down his life and say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I am his sheep. Very humble. Notice, not only is the Lord my shepherd, but notice what happens. He says, I shall not want. Do you know in those areas of covetousness 
and always wanting and never being satisfied. Do you know where that comes from? From the Lord not being your shepherd. That's exactly where it comes from. Where you take control of your life and you say, this is what's good for me. This is what's best for me. And it often leads to discontentment, covetousness. I never have enough. I don't know why I feel this way. Could it be? Is the Lord speaking to you about the Lord being your shepherd? And you and I, as he's our shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he's in total control. And with him being my shepherd, I can live a life of contentment and peace because I know the Lord is my source. Some of you really have to think back to the time when you weren't saved. Now, of course, some of you might be here today. You have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, much in your life is filled with this discontentment. Oh, it may not look that way outwardly. You may be doing very well outwardly. You may be very successful in your career. You may be a very successful mom, a very successful dad. You may be very successful in your singleness. And from all outward circumstances, we would look at you and say, obviously, there's a successful person. But inside, you know your own heart. And you know the discontentment that you go through. You know the burden of your own sin. You understand more than anyone the loneliness that you have spiritually. And you can't say today, the Lord is my shepherd. But do you know that Jesus Christ laid his life down for you by dying on a Roman cross some 2,000 years ago so that by faith in him, by believing in what he has done for you, the shedding of his blood, the forgiveness of sins, your sins might be forgiven? So that by the time you leave here today, you can say along with us, the Lord is my shepherd. Not the Lord is their shepherd. Not the Lord is his shepherd or the Lord's my mom's shepherd or my grandma's shepherd. No, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, he meets all of my needs outwardly and inwardly, spiritually and physically, emotionally and mentally. The Lord is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, we can all say, I shall not want. Hmm. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. None of us like to be made to do anything, but guess what? The shepherd makes you lie down from time to time in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He makes you lie down. You know why? Because you need rest. We need to rest. And the question is, well, how does he make us lie down? Do you know he has a lot of ways to make us lie down? I think the most popular one is just flat out being sick and ill. And your body just isn't what you want it to be. And you, and you know the only way to be restored to health is just to lay down and stop. Sickness. A lot of times God will allow testings and trials to come into our life to make us just lay down and rest. Sometimes God makes us lay down and rest by command. He tells us, son, daughter, stop and rest. You know how I know that? Because for some of you, that is the command of the Lord to you today. You have just been caught up in the hustle and bustle of this world. You have devoted thousands of hours to your job. You've got your hobby that takes your mind and attention. You've been on the computer far longer than you need to be. And the command of the Lord for you is rest. Turn it off. Shut down and rest. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in Romans. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? 
This is a great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. This is a must-read for anyone who desires to serve the Lord and be involved in ministry. In it, he invites ministry leaders to listen in on 30 short armchair chats that will no doubt encourage and inspire them for service. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Ed Taylor is the pastor of a church nearby many of you, Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. For our service times and directions, visit us on the web at calvaryco.church. We hope to see you sometime. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounded Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.